Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thank you for listening to us today. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm okay. I'm... You can just hear the Charlie Brown womp womp. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like just kind of feeling a little under the weather today, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. I just um, feel a little low energy and got this weird pain in my ankle and, you know. You were over 30. Yeah. (laughs) It's bad. But, you know, otherwise I'm okay. How are you? I am super excited about today's movie. Yeah, I thought you would be. Are the creatures of the night, like, aware of how much... You like cats? Well, if they aren't, they certainly will be now. Like, so here's the deal, creatures of the night. I, I like cats. I'm much more of a cat person than like a dog person. But I also am like not really a pet person in general. I didn't really grow up with pets. I'm allergic to cats. So we don't have a cat. Sarah grew up with a cat. Uh, Kyra. And dogs. Yeah, yeah. But mostly I'm thinking of Cairo. Yeah. And Sarah loves cats. And since moving in with me, Sarah can't have cats. Um, Cairo passed away a number of years ago. She's got a big tattoo of Cairo on her thigh. And she just loves cats. It really doesn't matter, like, what the context is, what the type of cat is, what it's doing. It doesn't matter. Just loves cats anything involving cats that you can send to her she will love sarah loves cats we have um a family of ceramic cats that her (laughs) sister brandy gave to us that are very very kitschy but they make her very very happy and so they they live in our front entrance i also think they might be haunted why so i haven't mentioned this to ben but i don't like ghosts sarah (laughs) Yeah, but you also don't believe in them. So. Correct. This is, which is why I find them so scary. <laughs> These cats came from an acquaintance of mine, but was my sister's best friend um, who passed away. Um, and like, I love these cats. But ever since we got them, so where they are located is in like our front entry. And I swear I keep seeing something there. What do you mean by something? Like, you know how there's like something out of the corner of your eye? Yeah. Yeah. So I just keep thinking like, is something there? And then I look. Yeah, it's the cats. No, like the cats aren't in view. But this activity is centered around where the cats are Mm. in the house. So that's why I think that they're haunted. But we'll see. We've only had them since around Christmas time. So uh, that's only like not even two months of having them. So it can't really verify yes or no, Mm. but if they are haunted, they are benevolent. Well, that's good to know. I haven't noticed any of this. I haven't had any weird thing in the corner of my eye experiences around the cats. It's not like, 
our old apartment where every time I left the apartment, I thought that there was someone down at the end of the hall, but it was just the stairs. Um, (laughs) However, Haunted Cats is a good transition to talking about today's movie, Bore Kaibyo Yashiki, uh, which is commonly known as Black Cat Mansion in English, although the title would more like literally translate to ghost cat mansion and uh it is like part of a broad trend of stories films plays probably like kabuki probably like art you know just tons of shit in japan about kaibyo which are ghost cats yes as you said a long tradition in japan in fact, it dates as early as uh, the first kind of like ghost cat story originating in the 14th century okay. in Japan. And you might be wondering, like, well, why, why cats? And specifically, not just any kind of ghost, but specifically yokai, which are like demons or like evil spirits. Yeah, they're they're like spirits. Like you can have a yokai for anything. Mm. Like your your toaster might have a yokai in it. Um, there's just like a lot of different yokai. Yeah. Yeah. So you might be wondering like why cats? And the answer is, um, cats are weird. Right. (laughs) They're nocturnal. They're mysterious. They have strange eyes. They're predatory. They're kind of wild while still being in your house. Mm -hmm. Their sounds can sometimes sound like people, like speech. Yeah. We've all seen the Tumblr videos. <laughs> now, there is, um, as you said, Kaibyo, um, which is like the generic specification or classification of cat yokai. Mm-hmm. Um, and cats, like normal cats, can turn into Kaibyo if they get too old, if they are treated badly. If they have like too long of a tail, <laughs> <laughs> um, and also like particularly if like they're treated badly, um, they can take revenge on the owner. Or if the owner has been treated badly, the cat will take revenge on behalf of their owner. Sure, I love how much of this tradition seemingly just stems from like you know somebody going to visit a friend's house and being like hey what's up with your pet and then being like yeah that's that's a cat they just do that and the friend being like okay well that's fucking weird (laughs) they're like they're like weird little demon spirits in your house i'm gonna write a story about this it like that really is the vibe of course there's also the um cats turning into humans aspect of kaibio just to put it out there, if your cat at home can turn into a human, you might have a kaibyo on your hands. Right. That particular transformation element of these ghost stories really got into popularity in the 17th century, in the Edo period. If you recall from past episodes of Scream Scene where we've talked about Japanese stories and Japanese film, you'll know that during the Edo period, um, kabuki gained in popularity and so as kabuki being very melodramatic and Mm -hmm. having like supernatural stories so ghost cat stories naturally became very popular as a kabuki play trope or theme 
which also means that any kind of further iteration or appearance of a ghost cat has kabuki flavors. Now here's where I'm going to uh, acknowledge that, like I said, kaibyo is like the overall classification of ghost cats, and there's specific types of kaibyo. There is nekomara, which typically is when a cat gets super old and then they become um, a ghost cat or okay, demon cat in, sure. of some kind. Um, they will transform into old women and um, they are identified by having two tails. Okay. Another kind of kaibyo that you might even be more familiar with is the manekineko, which is the uh, lucky cat where you will see figurines of in stores mm. that has like the waving paw oh yeah yeah so that's more of a like you know bringing like prosperity and specifically bringing in customers mm. but um that's that's kind of how the legend comes down is that like the cat was treated nicely and so he's like beckoning customers into your store got it and the not so Nice, I guess I'll say. The more potentially malevolent um, kaibyo would be the bakaneko, which is a creature that um, can go back and forth from cat to person. Um, and the way that you can tell that it's not kanekomada is it's not necessarily old, and they only have one tail. Right. So just a regular cat. Like all cat, all normal cats are bakaneko. <laughs> Well, I mean, if all normal cats are transforming into people, then... Right, and potentially malevolent. <laughs> so, Bakaneko, you can identify them because they shapeshift, they know how to speak human language. Particularly more terrifying is that they can um, possess people, mm. um, they can control dead bodies. Hmm. And when you see them in paintings, they're often seen in cat form, dancing with a towel on their head. Sure. So that's that's how you know if you're dealing with a bakaneko. They it. enjoy dancing with little hats. Got it. Okay. Now there are um, a couple of notable tales featuring bakaneko that I want to mention. I don't know if they have anything to do with Black Cat Mansion, but I would assume that there's some kind of ties um because these are the most famous bakaneko stories sure there is the tale of takasu genbei where um he noticed that uh his mother's personality changed really suddenly when his pet cat ran away um his mom became really reclusive eating alone like refusing to see anyone so takasu goes to investigate and he notices while spying that his mother is eating raw meat and like he confronts her and she's like this like weird cat form thing. So he takes a sword and kills this creature. And after a day, it reverts back to his like pet cat. And then he finds his mother's bones under the floorboard. Creepy. Yes. There's another Bakaneko story or tale. Um, and this one is interesting in that like it's a legend but it's starring real people who existed oh yeah sure this one uh stars i guess the real person in this story his name is nabashima mitsu shige um who was the second daimyo of the saga domain in the hizen province 
all of which is to say um, it is near a town called Kyushu. And Mitsushige um, has a samurai in his retinue who is trying to teach him to play Go. And this samurai's name is Ryu Zoji. And um, he's teaching him and it goes poorly. And Mitsushige basically is like trying to cheat. Ryu Zoji calls him on it and Mitsushige kills him for it. That seems like overkill. I mean, yes, death, yes. Yeah. So um, the story goes that uh, Ryu Zoji's mother was very sad about this because, like, what a waste of life. Mm. And she shares her, her sorrows with the family cat. And then she commits suicide because of the grief. The cat drinks, like, licks the mother's blood mm-hmm. and becomes a Bakaneku as a result, who then wreaks revenge on the Mitsushige clan. And the the story goes that, you know, it was happening every night that this Bakaneku was tormenting the clan until um, another samurai on retainer killed the creature and saved the family. Got it. Now, this is all starring, like, real people, even including, like, the Ryu Zoji clan, but obviously these things don't actually happen with, like, cat demons and such. But it is a very famous story because I think it's tied to these real people's legends. Sure, yeah. And, I mean, like, it's not like legends about real people are a super far out there idea. Especially as you see Kaibyo stories get adapted into kabuki plays mm-hmm. and kabuki you know i think we talk about this with the um getsuwa kaiden episodes but kabuki has like three main genres that it plays with two of which are melodrama and then the other one being like historical so this is kind of bridging the two a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure so those are the two most famous tales of Bekaneko. As, again, you might recall from past Scream Scene episodes on the history of Japan, um, post-World War II, Kabuki had a brief moment of like resurgence in popularity, and so too did Kaibyo in pop culture. There are even two films about ghost cats kind of hopping onto the trend of like Kabuki theater adaptations, one being titled... Arima Neko from 1937 and um, Ghost Cat and the Mysterious Shamisen from 1938. Those are the only two. And then, of course, Kabuki kind of went out of favor because of post-war stuff. But popularity, again, increased in the 50s and 60s. And there was a series of monster cat movies. So some of the particular ones that I wanted to mention is Ghost Cat of Arima Palace in 1953, which is actually a remake of the 1937 film. And then um, probably one of the more famous Ghost Cat movies would be Ghost Cat of Yonaki Swamp from 1957. And the reason why that one's particularly famous is um, part of the popularity of these Ghost Cat movies is there was an actress named Takako Irie that leaned into being typecast as the cat lady Mm. and people went wild for her. So she did five films as ghost cat lady and ghost cat of Yonaki swamp is her final one. Got it. And then of course we get to black cat mansion in 1958. 
Um, you see a couple of more ghost cat films come out. You see a couple in the 70s. But I think the one that the West might be more familiar with is House from yeah. 1977. Yeah, house is great. Yeah, and a cat is kind of central to that. Yeah, as as you've said, there was like this cycle of ghost cat movies in the late 50s. Um, and it's important to contextualize them as being part of like a wider cycle of sort of fantastical genre movies mm-hmm. that were being produced um, on the cheap very frequently just kind of like churned out in the late 50s this was being done like kind of across the board by all the studios in japan and uh, most specifically by shintoho which i bring up because it's the studio that produced this movie Mm -hmm. and shintoho was kind of late to the game but um they really churned them out once they started doing them and they did a lot of ghost movies and they did a lot of cheap sci-fi movies and a lot of like B crime movies and they did a lot of like genre blending between all of their like B movie genres as well so you got interesting weird things like Vampire Moth from Nobuo Nakagawa which we watched on the show but I think decided wasn't horror I think we we decided it was more of like a crime thriller movie that was the first Nakagawa movie we checked out um the second one that we've done most recently was Ghost of Kasane Swamp, which definitely was horror and was kind of like a a bit of a Yatsuya Kaiden riff, but with like a long sort of soap opera section in the middle, again, showing that kind of like genre blending. And so you had like a large number of these movies and they were very formulaic and the ghost cat movies definitely like fit into that. And part of the reason why we haven't been watching these ghost cat movies is as like genre programmers that were just getting churned out. They're very difficult to find in like North America to view with like English subtitles, like DVD releases for these things are rare. DVD releases with English subtitles are rarer and releases that you can watch in North America are like rarest. And so, you know, it hasn't been easy to get copies of these black cat mansion we are able to watch because of its director because nobuo nakagawa you know did a whole bunch of famous japanese horror movies um that would only get like more famous after this one like his biggest stuff is after this still to come Mm -hmm. but because he had this like run of horror movies in japan his movies stand out a bit more than like some of these other ones where the director was like just kind of a one-off guy where it's like, yeah, I did this this week and next week I'm doing like a Jidaigeki romance movie and the next week I'm doing a, you know, Yakuza movie, whatever. Yeah, I will say that as much as I can find the list of ghost cat movies in like the 50s listed on Wikipedia, their entries are very much like, this is a movie that existed. Here's maybe one person who acted in it. Yeah. There's not a lot about any of it so it's even hard to research and discover these films indeed um but you know listeners if you want to have us watch more ghost cat movies and you can like track down viewable subtitled copies of them for us send them along to us and we'll circle back and watch ghost cat movies because i'm sure that sarah will not object absolutely so yeah this was 
as I mentioned, part of a cycle of horror movies that Nobuo Nakagawa was making for Shintoho in the late 1950s. And while there were a lot of these cheap movies being made, Nakagawa was gaining a reputation by this point for taking very familiar material and doing like interesting and experimental things with it while still being popular entertainment. You know, his movies weren't so experimental that it was like Terrence Malick. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't like avant-garde art film kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a page of madness kind of stuff. It was it was still like pulpy B-movie stuff, but he was just like doing more interesting things with it than other directors. And on time and I believe on budget. Yeah. He's probably best compared to someone like Terrence Fisher in England or um, Mario Bava in Italy. So yeah, we liked Ghost of Kasane Swamp, as I recall. Um, I think it ranks higher than Yatsia Kaiden on the list right now. Kasane Swamp ranks at number 60. And the Yatsia Kaiden that is on the list from 1956 is at number 132. Yeah, so we liked it a lot better. Even though I like Yatsia Kaiden as a story better, and Ghost of Kasane Swamp was kind of like a, a watered-down sort of ripoff, um but it was actually good <laughs> but, it, but that movie was good yeah and we've seen two yatsia kaidens so far and one of them we didn't rank as horror that was the 1949 one which is the better movie version of it that we've seen so far but just like wasn't really horror so coming to bore kaibyo yashiki um the film's scenario is based on a novel by sotu tachibana who was a popular novelist in Japan in the 1920s and 30s, who wrote in a variety of um, profitable genres, we'll say. (laughs) Like when I say that he was popular, I don't necessarily know that that means that Tachibana himself was popular so much as he wrote a lot of books in genres that sold really well. And so he was a very top selling author, but he wrote detective fiction. He wrote ghost stories. He wrote, um, like science fiction. He wrote, um, romance novels. He wrote like young women's books, just like all kinds of stuff. As long as it was in a genre that made money after his death in 1959, he's become somewhat forgotten for as best-selling as his books were. They're kind of not really talked about anymore. I think because none of them really were like literary you know sure they were disposable entertainment yeah penny dreadfuls right sort of yeah (laughs) um and so the novel was adapted by writers jiro fujishima and yoshiro ishikawa and this film is the first time that nakagawa would be shooting in a widescreen format uh he is working here for the first time with cinematographer tadashi nishimoto and together they create a scheme whereby Scenes in this film that are set in the modern day are in a blue-tinted monochrome, and scenes that are flashbacks set in the Sengoku period are in, like, full vivid color. That's cool. Yeah, kind of a reversal on the stereotype of, like, doing your old-timey flashbacks in black and white or whatever, right? Yeah. Almost kind of speaking, like, I don't know anything about the movie, obviously, uh, because we haven't watched it yet, but... There is that common idea that like, well, 
magic was like stronger in the olden days and now it's kind of weakened. Mm. Um, so maybe something like that with supernatural elements. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be certainly interesting. I think it speaks to the idea of like depicting the past as more like vivid and colorful where you can have like bigger, more melodramatic things happening. Now, Nishimoto would go on to work with Nakagawa again on Nakagawa's version of Yatsuya Kaiden, which is generally considered to be like the best Yatsuya Kaiden movie. Um, and he also would go on to work with Bruce Lee as the cinematographer of Way of the Dragon and the original Bruce Lee-directed portions of Game of Death. Cool. The film's cast includes Toshio Hosokawa, who is probably best known in the West for minor roles in Tora 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 and Mishima. And the film also has music by Michiaki Watanabe, who also scored Ghost of Kasane Swamp, and would go on to work on Nakagawa's future horror films as well, as did like most of the crew of this film. Uh, so the people who made this movie are generally the same people who would go on to do horror with Nakagawa after this. Black Cat Mansion was released on July 13th, 1958 in Japan. Was that a Friday? I don't know. I should have checked. <laughs> um, it was never released in North America or dubbed in English. Um, it was released on DVD with English subtitles in Region 2, which is Europe, um, but it has still never had like any kind of Region 1 release. Okay. So how are we watching this? We are watching it on YouTube, and it is in our YouTube playlist, and that is basically like an upload of the European uh, DVD version. Okay. Well, folks, I really hope you're able to watch along with us because it's cat-related, and I'm so excited to see some ghost cats, mm -hmm. um, or not see, depending on how ghostly these cats are. <laughs> um, you're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss Bore Kaibyo Yoshiki, or Black Cat Mansion, from 1958, directed by Nobuo Nakagawa. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene, everybody. We just finished watching Bore Kaibyo Yashiki, or Ghost Cat Mansion, from 1958, directed by Nobuo Nakagawa. Sarah, what did you think? This movie is dope as hell. <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie. I really enjoyed myself. I enjoyed everything going on screen. <laughs> it, it was so good. It was so fun. If cats weren't involved, would you still like it? I think so. Okay. Like if it was like dogs like, or like, right. Or, you know, some other animal. Right. Like, yeah. Like whatever. if we correct for, for cat bias. Um, the way that this movie is constructed and executed every bit of it, like chef's kiss. Mwah, love sure. it. It was so good. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, Ghost Cat Mansion is a better translation of the title because the cat in this movie isn't black except for like one during the opening credits yeah well i wonder if they do that because of the like associations of like superstitious black cat yeah, thing probably yeah um yeah this movie has an interesting construction um and like a neat little story so why don't you 
kind of walk us through it, Sarah? Absolutely. The film opens in a darkened hospital. Mm -hmm. It's very creepy and I love it. On a dark and stormy night. Yes. We have a point of view shot and we hear, you know, someone walking slowly down the darkened hallways. They have a flashlight and it's like, is this hospital abandoned? Why is it so dark? Um, And they do some creepy things and it's like, what is going on here? And we make our way up to a lab where a Dr. Tetsuichiro Kuzumi is working. And he's like, oh, I hear footsteps, but like, why would anyone else be here? How would anyone else find their way to this lab? Like, this is really creepy. It reminds him of another time when creepy things are happening. <laughs> I mean, flashback, I believe they say six years ago. That's right. Um, when his wife, Yoriko, was um, suffering from tuberculosis. So they were leaving Tokyo to go back to her hometown, Kyushu, to recover. Because it's like further south. It's not the busy city. The air is cleaner. You know. The the standard like rest cure for tuberculosis thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Now they meet up with Yuriko's brother, Kenichi. And um, he still lives in Kyushu, and he's kind of helped arrange where they are going to live, um, specifically at this abandoned and rumored-to-be-haunted mansion. Mm-hmm. Now, as they are driving there, a black cat runs across the road, and they nearly go careening off a cliff. <laughs> and of course, this is uh, when we hear that Yuriko hates cats. They get to the mansion and we, you know, go walking through and it's all creepy. Um, murders of crows are all around. Yes. <laughs> Yuriko sees like this like creepy old woman who's in all white with like white hair. She goes, oh, is, is someone living here? And then everyone else comes over and there's no one there. Um, also, as they are going through the house, they see a wall that has blood all over it. Tetsuichiro's like, that's not blood. We'll paint over it. Yeah. Like, that doesn't... That That's not an answer. That's not a solution here, Tetsuichiro. But, okay. Yeah, and his reaction to, like, is there an old creepy woman here was, you're seeing things. He's very helpful. He's very helpful, yeah. So, since they aren't really sure how long they will be in Kyushu, uh, Tetsuichiro sets up his um, medical practice here. And... Um, You know, things seem to be going well, but Yuriko keeps having these nightmares, specifically of an old woman kind of like haunting her. One stormy night, we see that this old woman appears and wanders into the clinic. And it's definitely like mysterious, both in the way that it's shot and the way that this woman is moving, but also because their dog, Taro, is just like barking nonstop at this, which, you know, that means it's supernatural. Also, the fact that their dog is named Taro after like a root vegetable is like naming your dog Potato, which I love. (laughs) Now, the woman goes into the clinic, um, asks to see the doctor. And then by the time that Tetsuichiro comes out, the woman has disappeared. But while Yuriko is alone, the old woman appears into the room and goes and attacks her. Um, And this attack is interrupted by Tetsuichiro. So Yuriko faints and like, you know, she's being choked out and strangled. Um, So she faints, but um, she is not killed. Next, we see that um, this mysterious old woman 
has some kind of like ability to mimic voices and she manages to get Tetsurichiro out of the house by basically faking a doctor's call to like a a house in the village and while he's out this old woman enters the mansion kills the dog so you know dog dies Mm. in this one um gets to Yuriko and like knocks at the door and using Tetsurichiro's voice says like, hey, wife, let me in. She does. And it's like, oh, shit, it's the ghost. But again, this attack is interrupted because Tetsurichiro comes back from the fake call. And this attack is more severe on Yuriko. Um, Also, she has tuberculosis, so she isn't very strong to begin with right now. And she keeps having these dreams of like cats biting her and eating her. So the next morning, um, Yuriko's brother, Kenichi, comes by and he's like, hey, this seems like it's getting pretty serious, especially because Taro was killed. Let's go see the nearby Buddhist temple. So they go up there and the priest shares some history of the mansion. Um, He's like, yeah, I told you, you should have just demolished this place because like there's evil throughout. And here's the story. And now we get a flashback to 16th century Sengoku period Kyushu. Uh, And now we are in full color. We see that the mansion is owned by the Lord Shogun, who has a short temper. Like, ridiculously short. Like, this is a guy who will, like, if you leave him to sit alone in a room, will get, like, angry at the furniture in the room. Like, this guy's cartoonishly short-tempered. Yeah, so he's mad because his Go opponent is late, um, and he has a servant, Zaheji, uh, who's like, hey, um, he's probably just running late. Like, calm down. It's fine. Have some patience. And the Lord nearly kills his servant for daring to speak of patience. Yeah. He's like, you think I don't know when I'm being purposely insulted? Like, yeah, this guy's a loose cannon. Yes. So he's already mad that his go opponent, Kokingo, is late. Um, and so they start to play. And Kokingo's like, oh, I, I was told to teach you to play Go. And, of course, Lord Shogun has arrogance to match his um, lack of patience and says, no, I, I'm the best Go player. Like, we'll play for real. Oh, wait, can I take that move back? No, I want to take this move back. And basically is trying to cheat. Um, like the whole damn game. The whole damn game. Like every move. And so Kokingo is like, no, if we're playing for real, we're playing for real. Stop cheating. And the Shogun loses his temper and kills Kokingo. That's what I call a rage quit. (laughs) Now, with the aid of his servant, Saheji, they hide Kokingo's body in the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, this is like Black Cat Edgar Allan Poe shit. Yeah. And come up with a story that, like... Kokingo lost so terribly to Shogun that he like immediately left to go study how to play Go in Kyoto or something. And it's worth noting that like Kokingo is a famous Go master and Shogun is a guy with a super short temper who nobody likes. Now Kokingo's mother, Lady Miyagi, she she's blind um, and she she's suspicious about this like kokingo has been like a very dedicated son 
to her, especially because she's blind, for him to just leave, like, that is very strange. And it kind of, like... Even left behind his cat. Yeah, his cat Tama, who has a little bell on on her collar. Just, okay. Lady Miyagi's fears are confirmed when Kokingo's ghost appears to her. And you might be thinking, but she's blind. And it's like, supernatural sight, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) We're telling a ghost story here. No time for realism. Okay. Oh. And Kokingo, ghost Kokingo, um, tells his mother. Kokingo ghost tells his mother who killed him. Now, Miyagi does try to confront and take revenge on Shogun, but Shogun, like, easily outmaneuvers her. Yeah, she's blind and he's a samurai. And then rapes her. Yeah. It's, it's... Upsetting. It's upsetting. I will say that, like, it's not... Like, the act isn't on screen. It's like, you know, in, in a normal movie when there's, like, a sex scene and it's like they start kissing a little bit and then the camera pans away to the window and we fade to black? It's like that, but for rape. Um, And it kind of confirms, like, what the act is when she later says that she her honor was violated. Yeah, yeah, it's clear what's happened. So ashamed, Miyagi is home and she's praying and she is holding faithful cat Tama and saying, please, like, take revenge on our family, lick my blood, and just, like, fucking destroy Shogun's family, enact this curse on all of his lineage. Mm -hmm. So she kills herself, Tama drinks the blood, and begins this, this attack. So, to begin enacting this revenge... Tama begins with attacking Lord Shogun's elderly mother um, in the form of Lady Miyagi and then basically shapeshifts to take her place. As the grandmother, she begins conspiring. Now through this, we have learned that um, Lord Shogun's son, Shinoji, uh, is in love and wants to marry a servant named Yare. Knowing this, um, Tama, as the grandmother, conspires to have Yare go to Lord Shogun at night. And Shogun's gonna Shogun. Um, he rapes her. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild, like, how cartoonishly terrible this guy is. Because this is a guy who can be like visited by the ghost of the man he murdered over a game of go get totally freaked out like pull his sword out start swinging it around the room when he realizes nothing's there like get back into bed and then when a woman comes in the room he's like aha time to be a bad boy two seconds later this guy is the worst he is the worst absolutely um the next day Shinoji goes to ask for permission to marry Yae, and he's turned down by his father. And so the grandmother goes and's like, well, it might be for other reasons besides her class, because I've heard some rumors. So Shinoji goes and spies and sees Lord Shogun trying to attack Yae again, and basically interrupts him. He's like, what the fuck, dad? Which is nice. He's not like, what the fuck you doing, Yae? He's like, fuck you, dad. And this turns into 
a big fight with swords because it's at this moment that um, there have been apparitions of Lady Miyagi and Coking Ghost. Coking Ghost um, to Lord Shogun throughout this. Now it's kind of the climax of it. And as is tradition for Japanese ghosts, mm-hmm. they um, start like spooking him. He slashes at them and he ends up slashing real people. Mm-hmm. In this case, um, he slashes and kills Yae. And um, he also ends up battling Shinoji and they end up killing each other. Mm-hmm. Now, let me hit pause right here, because there's one thing I forgot to mention. In the midst of the grandmother conspiring, she does get found out to be this, like, bakaneko by the grandmother's servant, Sato, in that same kind of, like, sees her, like, being a cat in human form, like, mm-hmm. licking her paws or whatever, or lapping up milk. Um, so Sato has to die. And as... People are investigating, like, what the fuck is going on in this mansion? They do find the grandmother and Sato's bodies underneath the house. It all kind of happens at once, though, so that's why I got ahead of myself. Yeah, for But sure. anyways, so Shinoji and Lord Shogun have killed each other. And that's when we come back to the um, quote-unquote present with Kenichi and Tetsuichiro with the Buddhist priest. And they're like... Yeah, like that's that's a terrible story, and that's really sad that that all happened. But what does this have to do with Yuriko? And the priest is like, "Well, I was looking through death certificates, and it turns out that Yuriko and Yu Kenichi are long descendants of the servant Saheji, who helped hide the body." And so, Tama, Bakaneko, are still out for revenge. The priest does give a charm to combat evil spirits, but it. <laughs> Doesn't quite work. So despite the charm, the wind basically rips it off the door because it's a big lightning storm. Yeah, it's like sort of implied that the ghost cat like causes there to be a big wind that rips away all the charms. Yeah. With the haunting really in- intensifying, Yuriko is again attacked. And during the thunderstorm and everything going on, the wall that had been covered in blood collapses. And Tetsuichiro sees the skeletal remains of Kokingo. Suddenly, we come back to actual present day with Tetsuichiro in the lab, in the hospital. And he hears a knock at the door. And he goes, who, who is it? Kind of like Scooby-Doo, Shaggy, <laughs> like quivering voice. And um, we see someone enter just as the lights turn on and the power is no longer out. And it's his wife, Yuriko. And he's like, oh, like, you really freaked me out. And she's like, yeah, I'm just here delivering your dinner. What was freaking you out? Oh, I was remembering six years ago when we were in Kyushu. When a she, ghost tried to kill us. And, well, kill his wife. Yeah. Um, and Yuriko's like, yeah, after we buried the skeletal remains, the haunting stopped. Fancy that. Um, and then as she's uh, getting the food out for Tetsuichiro, she looks down and she sees a little kitten who looks exactly like Tama. And she's like, oh, a kitten. Can we keep it? I like cats now. And so it ends with the cat getting adopted. The end. <laughs> so this this movie has everything. It has <laughs> spooks. It has scares. It has kittens getting adopted. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, I think I liked the present day 
sequences better than the flashback sequences. Do you mean in the hospital? No, I mean okay. like I liked the parts of the movie that were like the blue monochrome better yes. than the parts that were in color. I just think that like the high contrast shadowy lighting style and the blue color and everything just made all of those scenes feel like really effectively creepy. Yeah, and I I started to wonder like why they would use the blue. And I think part of it might be it might have felt a little too drastic to go from black and white to color Um, because even Wizard of Oz is like a a brown tint right Mm -hmm. Um, so it might have been too jarring but also as the grandmother is haunting the mansion in like 16th century uh, flashback um, there gets to be more fog in the area and it feels like there's more blue lighting or blue tinting even though it's still full color Hmm. so it's almost like kind of setting up that like the blue is kind of tied to a supernatural feeling maybe it's also like you know the traditional like color you would tint back in the silent days for like nighttime Mm -hmm. i don't know it just gave all of those scenes in the modern period um like a very creepy feel i really liked the way that like the ghost looks in Mm -hmm. those sequences um, really good performance by the actress playing the ghost. Um, yeah, I wanted to know what you thought of her because you you really don't like old lady supernatural beings, right? Like I remember back when we watched Vampire like ages yeah, ago, yeah, and it's yeah. like the creepy old lady vampire. You you get really freaked out by it. Yeah, I really like the creepy old lady vampire in Vampire because it's like scary. Yeah. Um, so yeah. is this like effectively scary for you? Uh yeah. I think more so in the present day stuff in the modern set stuff. Um, period drama section of the movie was less engaging for me. Um, it still had like plenty of good fun stuff. Like everything with the Bacaneco is pretty great and fun, but I don't know. I think like that sequence of the movie, it's much more brightly lit possibly because it's in color and some of the like fight death scenes are like really poorly choreographed and kind of like unconvincing and sort of go on for too long. Like, like people just sort of wave swords at each other running around the room until like one of them decides to go and like spin around and and crawl across the room and stuff. And so like that stuff kind of like slowed down the movie for me. I really enjoyed the Bacaneco and all the creepy acting done in that sequence where like she'll be like, crouched on like a branch in a tree or something and the way like her head moves and stuff really great like physical acting but i thought she was creepier in the modern day stuff because in the period stuff she has like cat ears she looks like inuyasha oh my god she does but inuyasha is supposed to be a dog right right but it's like the same idea like the big hair and the ears and it's like just such an obvious wig i'm not saying it's bad per se but it has a certain campiness that runs against it being like truly creepy in the way that i think she looks a lot creepier in the modern day stuff i think like yes i totally agree however i think the full color flashback part is more inspired or taking more from the kabuki play version yeah for sure both in terms of like the fights and like the acting and the way that the dude like lord shogun is so over the top and so melt like it's so melodramatic and he's got um like i don't know if you noticed this but like he's got makeup on that's like 
really theatrical. Like it's the kind of thing where like if you were going to see a play at a theater and you were in the back row and you'd look at like a character on stage and be like, wow, he's really gaunt. And then like you'd go to see the actor like right up close in person. It's like, oh no, you have like really weird, obvious makeup on. That's kind of what he's got going on. So I think you're probably right about that. It's like this weird idea of like in the past, things were like Kabuki. Um, (laughs) I, I really like it though. And I think that's why it allows for the cat ears and for things mm. to be so much more theatrical with um the haunting for sure like when uh tama as grandmother is attacking sato mm-hmm. she's like controlling her as like a puppet and the interaction between them is like almost dance like and yeah. then she's doing like sato is doing backflips and stuff which I, might be real might be filmed in reverse but it's really well done and that's when it kind of really clued into me like no we're doing kabuki here yeah it's pretty cool um but with the switch to color i think i was also hoping for like a bit more like blood and gore in the period set portion of the movie yeah i i will agree that i kind of wish there was some like more like blood splurting from yeah people. like when people died and stuff yeah but there is quite a lot of gore in um the hauntings with like how much blood is on the wall for sure um the bloodied go pieces and and stuff like that so they are doing stuff but i definitely agree that i wanted more one of the things i really liked about this movie was all the moving camera that's oh, done in this. Um, yes. It really frequently gives the movie like a voyeuristic feeling. Um, you feel like the characters are being stalked and like watched and tracked uh, throughout the movie. Um, it's a really cool way to like give an extra layer of creepiness to a lot of the scenes. Yeah. And I was very surprised the way that it added tension. Mm. Um, so for example, when Kokingo and Lord Shogun are having their go match and things are getting tense, the camera keeps like physically moving in and moving out and moving yeah, in as, as if, if it's, it's like on a, a swing. Yeah. And um like you can it just added an extra layer of like, well something is clearly going to happen here because it, it's almost like when you're fidgeting because you're like really on edge. Mm. Um whereas if it had just been shot with a static camera, it would have been like, okay, they're getting mad. Like yeah. it wouldn't have as much impact. For sure. Yeah. The movie is definitely like not afraid to get eccentric, if you know <laughs> what I mean. And it even starts out like that, yeah. right? Like the first sequence of we're going through the hospital hallways, somehow, probably through the use of a crane and some movie magic, but we're moving, mm-hmm. walking down the hallway, we get to a stairwell and suddenly like the camera moves up the staircase without going on the steps and is up on the second level. So they're already showing off oh, from yeah. the get-go. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a really cool movie with a lot of really great direction going on and a lot of really great cinematography going on, for sure. The period drama stuff, you know, if we talk about the kabukiness of it or, like, the relationship between this and other, like, ghost stories from Japan we've seen, it definitely has that familiar feeling of, like, there's maybe perhaps too many characters, you know, where you're like, okay, so we've got the son who gets killed and the mom who wants revenge. And we've got the guy who killed the son and then that guy's son. And then that guy's like that son's lover. And then like his grandmother and the grandmother's servant and like the Lord's servant. And yeah, it's like, 
a lot of people, a lot of characters, but um, a bunch of them get killed. So, yeah, you know, so it's worthwhile. It's fine. Uh, definitely like, you know, we're on a set and it feels like those secret passageways. And that was all like very much a part of Kabuki mm-hmm. theatrics. Um, I also want to speak to the music and sound design throughout For this sure. whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that works really well that helps like underline the movement of the camera is that like you're still hearing everything perfectly. You don't hear like, oh shit, now we got to move the camera or something like they're really well constructing everything. And when there's a haunting sound design is also really important. So you can feel like, oh, is there something behind me? Is there something behind the characters? Um, And the music was just really good as well. Yeah, for sure. I do think that um, the ghost is really bad at killing Yuriko and it gets a little tedious after a while. It's like this thing where because Yoriko has tuberculosis, so she's like weak and defenseless. So that's why she's like in danger if the ghost comes to kill her. And the movie has to contrive like these reasons for Tetsuichiro to be out of the room because he doesn't believe in the ghost. And so like, I, I assume if he just saw it choking his wife, he'd probably believe in it a lot sooner. Um, so he needs to like leave the ghost needs to choke her. And then like he comes back, but this like pattern happens three times and it kind of sucks. Like it kind of sucks that like the reason Yoriko isn't dead is because like the ghost gets scared off and leaves each time, like including at the end of the movie, like every time that you think Yoriko is dead, Tetsuichiro comes into the room, grabs her, goes, Yoriko, Yoriko, wake up. And then like in the next scene, she wakes up. It sucked because Yoriko is not allowed to have like enough agency to get out of these situations herself or fight back or do anything. So it just kind of makes the ghost look really bad at what it's doing. Listen, this is like 600 years in the future, Ben. Like, Tama's tired. (laughs) Tama's tired. Um... Like, I definitely see what you're saying. I think that they did do a lot to try to build the tension each time. Yes. Each time you think this is going to be the time that Yoriko dies successfully, but then it's not. And I think that's the reason why I feel it's like a little tedious, including the fact that that's the end of the movie as well, which ends up feeling like kind of a bit of a cop out because of that. Because you're like, this is the third time. This is the ending. Like, she should really die this time. But I do like that the resolution to the problem is to bury the bodies um, rather than just, you know, paint over the blood. Right. And I think thematically that's really valuable. But it's weird to me the way that like we end thinking maybe this time Yuriko's dead and then we cut to the present and it's like, oh, yeah, remember how we fixed the problem? (laughs) Good thing that all worked out. Yeah. Speaking of Tetsuchiro not believing in the ghost. Sure he's like a shitty husband and he's kind of stuck being a shitty husband due to the nature of the plot and the way that they need him to like not believe in the ghost, not believe in the ghost and not be around to help her and not be proactive. But she also has to have like next to no agency. And so it walks them into this situation where like, he's just a shitty husband because like, I'm sorry. But he's trying. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. He like comes when he's called. The reason like he leaves one of the times is because he's trying to close the shutters from the wind. Okay, 
but he doesn't believe her. Yeah, no, he's definitely shitty that way, but and, he's trying. And like, here's the thing. He doesn't believe her too much is the thing. Like it stretches credulity. Okay. Because like they get to the house and she sees the ghost in the room and she's like, Oh my God, like come over here. I saw someone. And he like looks into that room and he's like, there's no one in there. You must be seeing things. And if we were checking out a new house that was like known to have been abandoned for years and we walked in and you like saw someone out of the corner of your eye and you were like, Ben, there's someone squatting in the house. If I just sort of like looked down the hall at like the room from far away and didn't see someone through the open door and was like, no, there's no one in that room. You're seeing things. That would be a dick move. Go into the room, look around a bit. And then she keeps being like, oh, I keep having dreams of this creepy old lady. I keep having dreams of this creepy old lady. And he's like, yeah, you're just seeing things. It's your imagination. Okay, fine. But then the nurse sees the creepy old lady. The nurse calls him out to go find the creepy old lady. And he doesn't find her because she's vanished. And then when he comes back, Yoriko's like passed out. And then when she wakes up again, she's like, the creepy old lady attacked me. And instead of being like, huh, so I guess the creepy old lady was attacking my wife when I went to go find her after the nurse came to get me. He's like, nah, you're seeing things. It just starts to be like, dude, believe your wife. At the very least, even if like you don't believe, recognize that like maybe this isn't the place to have her here. Yeah, right. Like, like this is clearly like something about this place is like causing her to not be able to rest. So let's go somewhere else. And, but like, you know, <sighs> also she has tuberculosis and when they come in here, there's still like dust and cobwebs oh, yeah. and stuff. And it's yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, this is the best place A place full of dust and triggers for asthma is the perfect place for someone with tuberculosis. It's also like freezing cold and raining the whole time, but that's sort of implied to be the haunting's fault. Um, yeah, it's just that, like, you know, and then, like, the time where he gets called away and comes back and she's, like, been attacked again. It just, it happens too many times before he's finally convinced by Kenichi to go to the temple. He doesn't need to believe in ghosts. But there's enough evidence that he should believe that there's a creepy old lady around, you know? <laughs> sure. At least. So, I, I didn't really like him. Luckily that's really not like a key to enjoying the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I want to say is that like, I thought it was really interesting how they um, found a way to have that Kabuki traditional look and style and everything in this movie, because this story is tied to Kabuki and tradition and, mm -hmm. and stuff. And it's even like directly adapting that stuff. Um, I think that's that's really great how they managed to like embed it in this realist sort of framing narrative. And it got me thinking that like genre pictures, be that horror, fantasy, sci-fi can allow for some of that blurring or that blending of something that's a little bit more melodramatic or theatrical like Kabuki. Mm -hmm. Whereas if this was like set out to be like, this is a medical drama. <laughs> and then we hear about like the story. Right. You know, it wouldn't quite work sure. to bring in those kabuki flavors. I do think that, you know, the the modern day stuff being shot much more like haunted house and the, 
you know, flashback stuff being shot more kabuki, like is something that makes sense and works. And especially given the like difference in color palette between the two sections, the movie is sort of signaling to you like these are two different styles. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So let's move on to ranking. So I've just like picked a spot. So let's hear about your range and we'll see if my spot is inside it because then our lives will be easy. Okay. So I first thought about Nakagawa's last movie that we saw, which was Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi, um, Ghost Story of Kasane Swamp, which, as we said, is ranked at number 60. Um, I think Black Cat Mansion is way better than that movie. Um, <laughs> it, it's like you can see even in just a year, though I know he's pumping movies out, like the development of his skill as a director, um, just way better. So I started working my way up and I thought, okay, well, let's look at like another Japanese horror film that I know Ben actually really likes. And that is Kuta Echipeji, A Page of Madness at 33. And I was like, ooh, I prefer Black Cat Mansion over A Page of Madness. But I know Page of Madness is like one of your favorite movies on this list. Looking below Page of Madness, um, there's things like Nut of the Hunter, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and then last week's movie, I Bury the Living. And I think I would consider this better than I Bury the Living, but again, I'm not sure about Page of Madness. So I made 33 my floor. Oh no. Floor? Looking up, we have really iconic pictures up above, like Nosferatu, Cabinet of Caligari, um, Fiend Without a Face, and I was like, okay, but like, is Black Cat Mansion iconic in that sort of way? And I think like for a Japanese audience, it might be because it's adapting these legends and these kabuki plays. But as far as the power, the power of it being a horror movie, I would not go above Fiend Without a Face at 28. So that puts my range 28 to 33. Okay, so I also started by looking at Ghost of Kasane Swamp down at number 60. And I also agree that this is better than that. Right above Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi is Return of Dracula. And I was like, this is definitely better than that. And then right above that is Abominable Snowman. And I liked Abominable Snowman better. Um, I like this movie. I think it's fun. I think it does a lot of fun, cool things. But I don't think... It hits the heights of like a page of madness. I don't think it's like the best Japanese horror movie we're going to see. I don't even think it's the best Japanese horror movie with a ghost cat we're going to see. Because um, I know that house is going to be a thing. Well, that's like 20 years from now. Sure. And, you know, I, I kind of was much more engaged with certain parts of this movie than with others. So... Honestly, I picked out number 59 as my spot below Abominable Snowman and above Return of Dracula, especially when looking above Abominable Snowman and seeing movies like Dementia and so on. So Look middle of our lists of our areas is 46 El Vampiro. Right, which is the one in Mexico with Mexican Dracula. Yeah, and it also has a haunting of that local place. And the or, old lady. Yeah, um, turns out to actually be a person, right. not just a ghost. Um, above that is also White Reindeer at 45, which, um, again, is a haunting. 
And below that is House of Wax at 47. So for me, like, you know, looking where you were putting your floor, that was above movies like Curse of Frankenstein, which I think are stronger than this. In this middle range that you've identified, I would say that I could come around like this is oddly very comparable to El Vampiro in the way that it's taking like familiar cultural touchstones and kind of like remixing them into a new kind of story. Mm -hmm. Um, El Vampiro did a lot of really clever stuff with its story. And I don't know if Ghost Cat Mansion is doing clever stuff with its story, but it is doing clever stuff with its filmmaking. So they feel very comparable to me. I don't think this is better than White Reindeer. Um, I could be convinced to put this above House of Wax. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of comfortable with putting this above or below El Vampiro. My vote is for it to go in at 46, so above El Vampiro, below White Reindeer. And the reason I'm saying above El Vampiro is... It's not just, oh, is it a haunting? Nope, actually, it's fine. Um, like, yes, there is a vampire. Um, <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not fine. Um, but I don't know, just like the the filmmaking, the way that it really held the tension, even as the haunting attacks on Yuriko were repetitive, like mm. it really held it um, and worked for me. Um, El Vampiro switches from being like spooky and haunting to allowing for like some like conspiracy mm-hmm. for Dracula to try to take over this town, which was weird. Yeah. It's got like a lot of shit going on. Yeah. And while I like and applaud the way that they are um, bringing the Dracula story to Mexico um, and doing a really good job of it, it, it does feel like there's baggage on both ends of like the story and the setting they're trying to put it into. Not exactly meshing, like working, sure. but not quite right? right with black cat mansion. Like they're really doing a good job of blending these three different, like framing narratives, I guess sure. technically two framing narratives and then the flashback. Right. Right. Um, and using cinematic techniques to really underline like the tone of each so that they feel unique in and of themselves. Um, yeah, I just think it's like a better crafted movie. Okay. You have like a lot of enthusiasm for this movie and I enjoyed this movie. Don't get me wrong. You know, don't get it twisted. I enjoyed this movie, but, um, definitely was not like seeing it as like a like top 15 kind of movie like you were. So I'm totally cool with putting this movie there. So entering the list at the new number 46 is Bore Kaibyo Yashiki, directed by Nobuo Nakagawa, above El Vampiro and below Valkoinen Pura. Yeah, and even looking back actually um, to White Reindeer, Valkoinen Pura, um, that movie's really fucking dope too. Yes. That movie's really fucking dope. It's good. Um, cool. I'm happy with this. All if, right. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the many episodes we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. 
If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed. And if you'd like to help the show out, you can leave us a rating or a review. Other ways you can help us out are by spreading the word about the show on social media or to your friends. Or if you have the means and want to support what we do, you can head over to patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the $5 and $10 levels get access to regular bonus content, and patrons of any level get to vote in our monthly horror-adjacent bonus episode voting. This month's theme is horror-adjacent short films, so check that out and, you know, utilize your... Your rights as a creature of the night. Right, you know, your your suffrage. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash scream scene podcast. Uh, so Ben, what are we watching next week? Well, Sarah, I do want to say there are a lot of ghost cat movies and just like ghost movies in general from Japan around 1958, like in the late fifties, like 1954 to 59. And because of what we were talking about earlier in this episode, um, I can't find copies of most of them. So like, Listeners, if if you have a lead on like a subtitled copy of like Ghost of Chibusa Inoki or um, like Ghost Cat of Saga Mansion or like any of these other kind of movies from this period that we haven't hit yet, let us know and I'd be glad to cycle back around. Um, But I haven't been able to find the other like non Nobuo Nakagawa Japanese horror movies of this period very easily. And so um, without the help of viewers like you (laughs) listeners like you um we are going to be headed back to america and we're gonna be headed back to america for a 20th century fox sci-fi horror film starring vincent price called the fly oh shit oh shit this is a big one yeah see you next week creatures of the night bye bye (laughs) 